Hi guys and welcome to the Decoding Life podcast with Catherine and Sophie. Just today someone actually mentioned to me that Sanya isn't renowned for its informatics, yet software developers and other technically trained IT specialists are a real pillar to the research being carried out. It isn't always a career path that people relate to research and someone who admits to thinking this way initially is Harriet Craven. Harriet has taken a non-traditional route from pirouettes to programming. She found her place as a software developer in the LIMS team at Sanger. She's an extremely motivated individual, not only taking on a degree part-time while working, but is also a key member in public engagement for coding. We got a chance to talk about life as a software developer, balancing working and studying, and why public engagement is so important, which felt like a really important conversation to have, actually, and might even help you to start this conversation in your own line of work. working from home going Harry I guess is everyone working remotely in your team yes um yeah well our team being the limbs software team um are all working from home but the our customers as such they're the lab staff so they are very much in the wet labs at at work do you mind explaining what exactly LIMS is? I know I've used LIMS previously, but I don't actually know what that means. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. it's um, Well, LIMS is the acronym that stan- stands for Laboratory Information Management Systems, um, which is pretty much the software application that scientists use in the lab. They'll probably use many different LIMS, um, but the LIMS that we build specifically helps them track samples that are being sequenced. So... The samples will arrive on site and they'll be inputted into limb systems and then um, data will be collected throughout the point up to the point of them being sequenced um, and then we get the data into some big database that's then used for um, analysis and reporting and that's kind of the main goal is that the data is then ready to be analysed. So are you the people that have seen a massive scaling up going on with all the COVID samples coming in? Are you dealing with that? Yeah, it partly of that. We are working on M Project Heron at the moment, which is the name of the project on campus, processing the COVID samples for sequencing. We're a bit uh, further up the pipeline, so we don't actually see the data. Once the data has made it to the warehouses and the database, then other people will be looking at it and discovering the new variants um, but our our role is to get the data in so they can do that. That sounds pretty important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So obviously software developers kind of span a vast amount of different industries. So when you decided to learn to code, did you always want to work in kind of science? I definitely didn't at the time, but at the same point, I don't think I realised what a ra- wide range of industries software developers do work in. Um, so it's been quite eye-opening now. I'm in that world to realise that software is absolutely everywhere. And when it came to me choosing a role, um, Sanger looked like a great place to work. It was, I guess, many different factors when you're choosing a role, a new a new job, but it seemed like a good, good opportunity um, a lovely place to work in Cambridge and they very much supported learning and growth which was quite important to me at the time so I wasn't specifically hunting out a scientific uh, position 
Um, but I've definitely learned a lot since I didn't have a scientific GCSE, <laughs> let alone A-level or PhD. So yeah, big learning curve. Did you, had you been doing software developing and coding for quite a while when you started at Sanger or was that your first job in the field? Yeah, first job in the field. Um, absolutely. I joined as a junior software developer, having taught myself coding for about a year and then I went and did a boot camp it's like a um, intensive immersive learning workshop for three months in London Um, so that was my only experience of coding prior to my first role as a junior software developer at Sanger. What was the inspiration for that did you just wake up one day and think this is it I'm gonna do software development and coding <laughs> or were there people that influenced that or what? <laughs> yeah well it's a crazy um it's a crazy story, really. I was dancing at a dance college um, in Chester and then moved to London. And it was a flatmate in London that I discovered this thing called coding from. And I had no idea about coding before that. So the inspiration was kind of just finding this thing that I loved straight away. It was combining the problem-solving mathematical side of my brain with the curious creative side from the dancing and yeah I just I just jumped on it I just couldn't believe my luck when I started to realize what this thing called coding was that's funny how does how does that conversation go so like anytime I'd seen someone coding before I sort of realized that that was the way to do what I wanted to do I just thought that looks like a completely complicated gibberish and I haven't got a clue what's going on so you got home one day and they were sitting there coding and you asked what's that or I can't really imagine how that scenario goes yeah it was exactly that in a way um so got back to um this flat this house share in London and my flatmate was working on a piece of software something to do with the solar system I saw that he had what I now know is a terminal but at the time it was just a lot of black and white writing on the screen (laughs) um and then he had like he was changing all these numbers and then that was affecting I think he was trying to mimic the solar system but he was showing me how if you change this thing here the sun would change its orbit or the size of Jupiter would increase um so off the back of that I was like how is this working what are you doing um and he was programming in python (laughs) which is this really nice language Um, And then he said, like, if this is something I'm interested in, he'll be more than happy to kind of point me in the right direction of resources. So he told me to learn Python. He showed me what the terminal was. um, And yeah, I opened this black and white box. And I just, I think I couldn't believe it, like, appeared out of my computer. And I could see my file system through typing commands. (laughs) And it's hard to think back to those, like, really, like, early memories. But... It was mind-blowing at the time I put in two plus two and then it was a calculator. Um, so yeah, I, I was taken, I think, by the <laughs> yeah. time I saw the terminal. And now when you look at films and pretty much everything in life, I see through a different perspective. Like I was watching Iron Man the other day and it was it was really techy and then you're kind of trying to read the words on the screen because it is all down to computer science, which is just really cool. I love when you see things in films as well and realize that that would never work. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you mentioned that um, when you first thought about coding, you didn't realise that a job could lead you into science. What what did you think it would lead you into? Um, probably only what I'd seen on films. So you've got all the space travel stuff and you've got your Amazons and your Googles and your Facebooks. I think that was probably the extent of which I realised software developers like were involved in and then coming to Sanger and realising that they are one of the strongest pillars that holds up research yeah was quite a surprise to me nice and uh so you said you were dancing and then you started doing you did that intensive coding course so did you just quit the dancing at that moment or did it was it kind of something you were doing at the same time or how did that work yeah I moved to London after graduating from the um, dance school and I think I'd start to get a bit of an inkling that when I was doing maths and English A-levels at the dance school that I was enjoying the studying and I think when I finished dancing and finished the studying I didn't realise it was harder than I thought to give up studying and give up like the mental challenge as much as the physical challenge Mm -hmm. that comes with dancing and so for about a year in London I was just trying out loads of different things. I was um, doing some tailoring for costumes for a show, helping out a boutique designer, being a waitress, you know, just trying to get by. And um, yeah. during, obviously, lots of auditions and lots of classes, um, dancing classes, um, doing some different types of dance. You've got, like, a lot more of the commercial and the street dance in London, which wasn't quite my thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I definitely wasn't cool <laughs> enough for that. So it was in that, like... Um, period that I was overlapping a lot of different opportunities and just trying to get a feel of which one was going to be which one was going to take me I was just going to say it's interesting because dance is such a sort of physical activity and physical career path right as you say and then you've shifted into something that is just not right yeah we just sit here at our computers all day Mm. and I can imagine I mean I'm quite active uh, and it drives me nuts sitting here all day and I have to get up a lot and move and make sure I'm doing a lot of exercise in the other times. Um, so how do you sort of manage that? Yeah, I definitely, um, I do miss it. I think that's one of the, I wouldn't say disadvantage, it comes with being a software developer that you sit at a computer all day, um, but it is so different to dancing yeah. and especially training for 10 hours a day. I I do miss it. I think I probably got a bit of a back injury because my body wasn't ready to stop quite as quickly as it did. I think I was quite strong and then Mm. suddenly went to sitting down all day and yoga has really helped me, not in like a massive zen way, but just in a strengthening way. Also running, I think trying to get outdoors more around the job as opposed to during it um, has helped me through adapting my kind of physical life I guess um but I there's a few it's taken a few years but as time goes on I'm drawing more parallels between dancing and coding and that's really um that's quite reassuring to know that three years of grueling training hasn't disappeared um my determination I hope and perfectionism for better or for worse has definitely come from the training that's hopefully continued into my coding yeah yeah So we talk about kind of software developers and they just sit there all day. Can you give us more of a description of what your day looks like? Yeah, of course. That's funny. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I remember I got asked, like, how many hours do I actually code in a day? And my initial answer was, oh, well, 
all day, obviously. But then when you think about it, we we have stand up in the morning, which is just when all the developers and the um, managers stand around and we talk about what we're going to do for the day and where the projects are and like what state they're in and if, if there's any bugs. So there's a lot of communication going on at the beginning of the day. Um, then we tend to break out, pick up a story, which is a feature that a customer has asked to be built in a piece of software. Um, so then we'll, you know, we'll go our different ways and code. Um, and that involves testing, maybe some design, a lot of scribbling, a lot of drawing, a lot of box and arrows. Um, with that, some documentation that might be on a shared site that like a lot of that customers can access as well. Um, then your lunch and between that some we use a platform called slack to communicate especially now when we're all working from home so a lot of questions bouncing around um a lot of is anybody free to help me or about to do this deployment is that okay um so a lot of back and forth so i think between that you probably actually spend maybe about five hours a day coding um which is a lot shorter than you imagine once you've got yourself set up, got all your terminals opened, started all of your applications, connected to the VPN. Um, yeah, there's a lot more behind the scenes, a lot of good stuff, um, but that you probably don't really see when you think of a typical person sitting there kind of coding away. Yeah. You say, um, so you get a storyline. I think that's what you just said. So I like that language. Yeah. Uh, um. So that sounds quite autonomous, right? You're sort of given an idea that somebody has that they would like to be incorporated into their software and then you have to work out how to do it. Um, when you first started, was that incredibly intimidating? <laughs> or did you have a lot of hand-holding or how did that look? Yeah, there was a massive learning curve when I started at Sangip. Um, the way we work when I refer to stories is a process that our team uses called scrum and agile and um, there are different ways of building software so ours is very autom autonomous you get your story and you have a lot of control over it i know there are different structures to different companies that might have a high level architect who kind of designs the code a lot more and then passes that down the different um layers of the team but yeah for us we have a lot of responsibility in the like encapsulated in the contained piece of work um but these stories we try and keep to quite a good size and then when I joined these stories I would pick up would be smaller than the ones I do now or you might pick up a story with somebody else and you pair on it and you do it together um so when I joined I had a mentor um he helped me a lot I learned a lot um, that way and then I think as you gradually become more confident you pick up bigger stories more complex stories um, stories that incorporate more features more applications um, and then I, I, you grow yeah I think people see software development as like a really isolated and lonely job to be in but actually I think nowadays people are realizing that's not like a sustainable way to work and there is quite a lot of collaboration and you know, there's different techniques that people are bringing in with these words like agile and like pair programming and things for people to work together. Yeah, so you're studying right now as well alongside doing your job. How do you kind of balance that? Because you're going to Open University, right? Yes, um, I'm studying a computing and IT degree with Open University. Um, so it's the normal three-year degree. I'm doing it part-time, um, 
with work support so I do my four day working week and then on Fridays I take a study day and the hours for the degree is about 20 hours a week um so the balance is hard it's it's it is hard I'm not gonna lie um it's funny because when we all went into lockdown my like my routine changed so I didn't realize but I was getting the bus to work every day and back and that was giving me about eight hours of reading a week and um, so when we all shut down um I didn't realize that the loss of those eight hours had quite a big impact so had to quickly adjust the way that I'm studying um but I think it's settled now and it's just it's commitment it's a lot of reading a lot of assignments um works really supportive and I think the bit that makes it worthwhile is I'll read something with uni and I mean it's happened that even the next day it's come up in a conversation at work and it's like oh you know that that topic I now understand and it feels a little bit it feels good to be a bit closer to understanding what is being talked about because it happened to be brought up in my module material um literally hours earlier so it's really rewarding and I think it's giving me some well I had no computer science background so it's giving me a really solid foundation that for me is invaluable. So did you find the degree and the Sanger job separately or did they come as a package or did one come before the other? It was one of the things that I saw on the advertisement that um, the role actively supported personal development and learning and I think it did mention something about a open university degree at the time although I probably didn't read too much into that and then six months into starting my manager um, who has also done a computer science or open university degree and there was another member of the team also doing the same degree he said would I be interested in it and this is something work will support they um, part fund it and then I pay them the money back through my um, monthly income so it's definitely a collaboration that came after joining Sanger but the the campus is so supportive in that way through further development that I think this is not uncommon um, and it's just making the awareness kind of increase out there that you can do this with the support of your work um, and I've just got a particularly great team where it's a part of the culture so yeah very lucky. Did you feel any sort of reticence going into the software development field being a woman? Did did that sort of hold you up at all or did you just the whole time sort of feel like this is what I want to do? I think I didn't realise at the time that it was a thing, a thing in the sense of you know females are massively underrated in the software development community. Um, I think that's something I've realised partly on my own, partly through public engagement that actually girls are put off by coding and this needs to change. Um, And that's just something I think maybe it's taken four years for me to get my head around and figure out we need to sort this, but I don't quite know how. Um, There are so many schooling programmes that encourage girls to code um so it's just making the most of them but I didn't I didn't feel at a disadvantage I've like I said I've got a really really good team and um you know there's been the odd thing but nothing out of the ordinary going to conferences 
um, there's one called Women of Silicon Valley and that um, Silicon Roundabout. So I mean, that really like increased my awareness of the problems that face female software developers just in the sense that they are completely mm. yeah on short supply really and that just is a disadvantage for software like software would be better if it was built by both females and males because we have different perspectives naturally have different um different benefits to give um so I think it's just that's probably a big goal of mine is just to try and help get more females into coding I guess software development is still really dominated by white males and I think if you fill a room with people who have very similar backgrounds then you're gonna get a lot of the same opinions coming up and people kind of just agreeing with each other and I think that's why diversity is really important to bring in kind of fresh perspectives and then get these kind of constructive disagreements and that's what you need to be more productive. Yeah I completely agree. Hmm. What so you've done a fair bit of sort of getting young people into data and coding and public engagement in that way. Um, what are some of the perspectives you've seen from girl? Like so, I guess it's already biased because the girls that sign up for that sort of thing are already interested. Um, but I guess from all that experience, why do you think there is such an underrepresentation? That's a huge question. <laughs> I think it is getting I think it is getting better. It's um there's some languages like scratch and micro bits that are targeting young children to learn through block-based languages. So it's not as intimidating, it's colourful, there's physical things you can link it to. So that is helping um younger children and I think, you know, kids will be having mobile phones now and they'll be downloading apps and playing all these games so their awareness of tech is there um it's just not just using it but understanding it I think that's kind of the bridge that hasn't yet been grasped and I think that's where coding comes into play in the school level there is a GCSE computer science it wasn't great when I was at school um but that is years ago um hopefully that has improved but I would start by targeting those areas um and also trying to show how coding can be applied to any career any industry it can be in textiles claire dane's dress on the catwalk lit up um because of software you know it's it's for football <laughs> it's var for basketball there's like the the hoops light up like it really is everywhere i think targeting different subjects yeah. with a tech approach just be be it in your science class cat you go in and talk about how coding helps science and that's a good place to start to just couple different subjects with tech so that it's not this isolated subject that is completely terrifying and nobody wants to <laughs> nobody wants to attempt yeah i completely agree that like the I guess the problem is trying to communicate to people of all the opportunities you can use this one singular subject for. Whereas you see kind of like biology and physics and maths and science and stuff all coupled together. People don't see like the connection between software development and textiles. So yeah, so can you talk a a bit about the different projects that you've done in public engagement? So we've touched on them a little bit, but can 
you kind of describe the different things you've done? Um, so my first public engagement um, main project was with a colleague and we went into schools every Monday and taught a coding workshop. Um, this was through Code Club, um, which is a charity organisation that provides all the resources. So you you subscribe to this um, Code Club that you want to put on a class and then you print off all the material, you go into school and then they provide, the school provides the computers and we did um, different assemblies to try and encourage kids to come along. So that involved learning Python, HTML, um, Scratch, some CSS and they were children from 9 to 11. So we did that for about a year and a half. Um, and that was really good I guess the aim is with that that the school then becomes self-sufficient so you've kind of shown them a light at the end of the tunnel and that they can start to experiment with now they've got a bit more confidence Um, so that was my first bit of public engagement which I really loved I was probably quite shy didn't really enjoy speaking in front of public let alone a hundred little 10 year olds staring up at you as I sat cross-legged on the floor so that was actually a lot more intimidating (laughs) than I realized um so yeah some good learning experiences from that and then I feel like there's a few in between um my next main one was developing some I've called them tech in the lab but it's micro bit activities that I worked with the public engagement team to develop so a microbit is a tiny little computer that's very usable um, it's kind of child friendly, it's got buttons and different um, little clips that you can put your crocodile clips on to make circuits but it has lots of sensors that you can play around with so we created a bunch of tech in the lab activities that use the sensors to show how they may be useful in a lab so one was called a fridge alert and this used the light sensor so you would code this little micro bit so that if the light increased to a certain level that you calibrate beforehand then an alarm would go off so the theory is that if you put that inside a fridge that a scientist is using in the lab you know for real science that if they left the door open this alarm would go off their samples would not die um, so it was that kind of approach that we wanted to show that tech can be useful in the labs um, for many reasons. And this is quite like a user-friendly way of playing around with coding, which you can use both Scratch, that block language that I mentioned earlier in Python, um, to start to exp- um, start to learn a bit about coding. And my latest project with a friend, a great friend was called um, Art and Tech Styles. And that was to try and bridge the gap of what we mentioned earlier to combine creative mediums through art and textiles with technology. So like the um, like the micro bit, there's a little piece of tech called a lily pad, which you can code. It's very colorful. It has um, conductive thread, so you can create circuits and really cool things um, that will join both tech and art and creativity together. So the idea was that would get a workshop together for two days and then at the end of that they'll present their work which is a combination of art and tech in a really cool museum in Cambridge but unfortunately that was when the pandemic happened so that was on on pause at the moment. Um, so I've just looked up what a lily pad is 
Um, <laughs> and now I'm a bit confused. So, so you link this little circular thing to a computer, I guess, and then using some coding language, tell it which circuits to connect. Is that getting close? <laughs> yeah, so you do your coding um, and then you download that code onto the micro bit or the lily pad and then that has a tiny little computer in it which then does all the clever things you told it to do. Wow, that sounds really fun. I'd like to take that class. <laughs> yeah, I got to take that class <laughs> and I had so much fun um, playing around with bits and coming up with project ideas and then sadly we didn't get to do it. Um, yeah, so we've been quite lucky at Sanger I guess that in my experience and I guess in yours as well my manager's been quite happy for me to get involved in public engagement projects. How, what would you say to someone of how they could kind of persuade their team that this was a good thing to do if they worked in a place where maybe it wasn't encouraged yet? Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's hard because we are just spoiled. Um, <laughs> I think it would be looking at the values of the team, the aims of the team, and trying to show that there are benefits for the team if time was spent on public engagement, which it can be seen as personal development as well. You're learning all these different skills, but you're also helping out the community and learning from the community, which is the whole thing with engagement is that it's a two-way thing. Um, so maybe going to some different workshops and seeing how they run and the like the bizarre ideas that all these different people have that you never know might be a game changer for the piece of software you're building and um, I, I would I would have a conversation with your manager and say look there's this really cool thing that I'm interested in it will take so many hours out of my day or so many hours out of my week Um, is this something you would consider or could I talk to other people in the team because there might be you never know, other people in the team might be thinking the same. Um, I think it's about creating the culture that it's accepted. Um, and that is obviously something that we'll try not to take for granted on campus, but we are extremely lucky to have. So I don't know if I've got a good answer for that. That was a pretty good answer. <laughs> yeah, I think what you said about the two-way street is really important. I think especially in science, you can, at the end of the day, people do science to benefit the community or other people and then going and talking to that community and getting feedback is really important yeah one of the aims for the art and textiles project was to display to display different data in a creative and just more interesting way that isn't a graph and it isn't yeah. a bar chart and it isn't yeah. a pie diagram it's actually showing data in a, a different way that is just going to just it would stand in your memory better for one so yeah I think definitely yeah. having it as a two-way learning is probably what public engagement where it really comes into its own yeah I think in the current COVID world what you were saying about kind of being sick of pie charts and bar charts and trying to display things to the general public it is really important to do this in a creative way I'm just imagining Boris Johnson in like a lily pad coded dress now. <laughs> it would have been a lot more fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you could wear a suit that showed how the different variants were expanding in your body um, 
through a more visual way I'm sure a lot more people would understand what is going on um yeah then well then certainly I do have you so just going back to all of the sort of people you've taught are there any moments that stand out to you sort of epiphany moments that kids might have had uh or like real breakthroughs you felt you facilitated um yeah there have been a few and I hope if they hear they don't mind me saying um one moment was a kid was creating a card using html and css and what he designed and built was that this card when you clicked on it would open and a little dog inside it would woof and say hi charlie or whatever his name was but what it was was his family dog had actually passed away and it was a way of him processing that information and i just i've never been able to forget that because i don't think i realized that is a massive positive impact that he has got from coding that I had no idea was possible because his mum then let us know that she was really grateful that he had made this card and he shared it with the family and it just helped process the grief, I guess. So that that really took me back. Um, that really moved me. Another one was um, also in the Code Club, there was a child with a few learning disabilities and he was really struggling with his maths equations. And then he built in scratch a program that meant he was making those, um, you know, the times tables himself. So he actually backwardsly like taught himself these <laughs> times tables through building it through coding. And I just, I just, that really opened my eyes to the the impact and the possibility, like possibilities of coding when it comes to learning other subjects or emotions. Who would have thought that coding could, you know, trigger, yeah. um, help you process emotions? Like that is, that's unheard of. You never hear about things like that when you think about software development. So those two have definitely um, stuck with me quite fondly. And definitely, I mean, that's interesting about the times tables because it sort of speaks to how traditional learning styles really don't work for every student and every child. And maybe sort of more hands-on coding is a way that you can get around that and give, I want to say more kinetic learners because coding is so hands-on, even though you are still sitting here, uh, sort of a different way in. Yeah, I think sometimes it's hard to say what you're proudest of. So we do ask everyone this. Could you tell us what is your proudest achievement? I have to actually practice this one with my friend because (laughs) I really struggle to say what you're which is just hopeless and shocking so my friend actually told me what she was proud of me for and I've just got to repeat that (laughs) no I do I am genuinely proud of um to do with public engagement um the first virtual open Saturday during lockdown was coding themed and I had I would have never imagined when I joined Sanger that I would have been a big driver behind the tech awareness in the public engagement outreach work at Sanger. So that was an incredibly proud moment. I couldn't believe that we had just hosted the first virtual open Saturday and it was to do with coding. I was I was so, so, so happy. So you drove that completely, that's amazing. Oh no. <laughs> Definitely didn't drive it completely. Um a a collaboration of lots of different 
tech-focused outreach contributed to the public engagement team thinking, you know, wanting to put on a a work a open Saturday that was themed coding as opposed to themed science. So it was just um kind of acknowledging that tech is important to campus. Um and in the last few years I yeah. think that's been a bit of a a drive and I like to think that I contributed to that. It sounds like you actually have contributed to that. <laughs> pretty massively I think you're a huge driving force behind that and I think the fact that you come from this creative background aids that so you come up with these really creative ideas that I would I'm just like I would never have thought to have done an art and textiles (laughs) style thing and I think it's it's been a benefit to public engagement and it's really interesting I'm interested to see what you come up with next Thank you. That's yeah, I'm going to join you next time. <laughs> um, and so just going on from that, I think sort of what's your next big goal and what's the next big thing you'd really like to achieve? I think finishing the Open Uni degree will be huge. That will have been six years um, of studying. So that's, it feels two years a long time, but that feels like a short-term goal. Um, and the next goal after that, like I mentioned, I think with the the research project at the end of that I'll be looking forward to getting really in depth with knowledge of maybe like machine learning or AI or these really obscure concepts that we know nothing about that I would like to um, learn more about and then see where that takes me I think the goal for the moment is just getting through the pandemic um, <laughs> and keeping uni going and supporting supporting my team where I can as well and um, I'm excited to see where you go and what sort of direction you decide to take this it seems like you're on a very cool sort of different path yeah I've, I've, I feel like that is the case I'm I know there will there is massive benefits from my background and it's great doing something like this to kind of shout about which I maybe haven't done and just make sure that it is okay to not come at coding from a typical career path um, and that it is great and that absolutely yeah there's there's lots of amazing things that can be done if you learn to um if you learn to code and you won't have that uni debt <laughs> yes <laughs> yes that is it a small pick <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Harriet it's been so nice meeting you and speaking with you I'm really excited by all the things you're doing yeah honestly thank you so much for coming and talking to us today Harry I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm very excited to see where you go no it's great we've worked on projects before I'm very um, excited for you guys with this and yeah I'll keep you up to date with any future public engagement crazy ideas that I have um, but thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure Thanks so much for tuning in to the Decoding Life podcast. We'll be releasing our next episode in a couple of weeks. If you enjoyed this one, why not follow us on Instagram at Decoding Life Podcast or Twitter at Decoding Life Pod to see what our next episode will be about. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified of the next time we released an episode. We would like to thank the public engagement team at the Welcome Sanger Institute for their help and funding of this project. In particular, Alexandra Kanet Font and Dr. Elena Pants for their guidance and advice through the entire process. We would also like to thank Piv Gopalasingam for thoroughly researching our guests prior to interviews, as well as Rick Keens for our beautiful logo. Thank you.